It's time for the man who taught Vince Carter how to slam. You can't make this tough up. <laughs> the man who's three inspired the Curry family. I don't exaggerate, I congratulate. With another masterpiece. It's time for you know who my man Seiku. Go Airborne. It's Seiku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Welcome in to another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. I'm your host, Seiko Smith, here in Atlanta. First show of 2020, by the way, the Hangtime Podcast, surviving into a new decade. How about that? We got a great show lined up for you. We're going to break things down, all things Atlanta Hawks, with Sarah K. Spencer of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, brand new beat writer, giving us all of the goods on the Hawks, and also a visit with our old friend, former co-host John Schumann, the stat master himself from NBA.com. Talk to him a little bit about the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Brooklyn Nets, what he saw at that game on Tuesday night, and and what the outlook is now for a Thunder team that's shocked us, really, and for a Nets team that's really going backwards, that's struggling. No Kyrie Irving, no Kevin Durant, what they might be for the remainder of this season. So appreciate you diving in and uh, rocking with us into this next decade. Check these interviews out here with Sarah K. Spencer and John Schumann. Sarah Spencer, glad you could join us finally here on the Hangtime Podcast. Um, We're veterans of the same war, um, covering (laughs) Hawks teams that struggle for victories. Thank Uh, you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, First and foremost, what's been – you know, I know when I was covering – a 13-win Hawks team, the biggest struggle for me was coming up with creative ways to say the same thing night after night, you know, to describe how a team could could lose like that over and over again. Um, what's been your challenge or your biggest challenge so far covering this team and, and trying to figure out how to frame the season they're having? You know, I think the hardest part for me um, – and obviously I'm new to covering the Hawks. Um, I'm originally from Georgia, but I moved back a couple of months ago. So I've only been covering the team about four months or so now. Um, but I think the hardest part has been, honestly, all, there's been a lot of injury news. Um, and yeah. I think, so on one, on one hand, it's keeping up with, you know, the injuries that they've had, which I know, obviously they're not happy about either. Um, but also just, um, you know, I think I, I, it's been hard because obviously Trey outside of two ankle sprains, you know, has been pretty consistent and is pretty much, you know, having an all-star season, um, at least offensively. Um, but then, you know, so probably the second best player on the team right now, or, you know, a guy that the Hawks were counting on a lot, um, entering the season, John Collins, you know, was obviously out for 25 games, um, with the suspension, and then Kevin Herter was out for 11 games with that shoulder injury. And even when he was playing, you know, for the first, like, kind of hefty portion of the season, he really didn't look like himself at all because he was having a lot of issues with his right knee. Um, so there you have, you know, the Hawks trio uh, that they were counting on uh, coming into this season. They were hoping to build off last season. And they just really haven't been able to, at least not yet, because those three guys have only played 83 minutes together um, total this season. Um, 
So I think for me, just being new to the team, you know, you kind of plan on, and, and things happen, you know, and they're not happy about it either, but you kind of plan on like, okay, this is what, this is how this is going to go. These are the guys that I'm going to write about. These are the, you know, uh, working relationships I need to develop. This is what's going to happen. This is this person's role. This is this person's role. And then it kind of, everything kind of got flipped on its head this year. Um, and the Hawks have a lot of issues and, and a lot of reasons why they're not winning. Um, but I think having those three guys not together, having those three guys pretty much, you know, separate um, until very recently um, has been a big problem for them. And it's also been, you know, as a writer, it's kind of been like, okay, I feel like I'm writing a lot about injuries. I'm writing a lot about who they don't have you know, as opposed to who they do have because they've just been struggling. Um, so I think it's just kind of trying to find that balance of like, okay, I've got to write, I've got to find a different angle. I've got to be creative. I've got to write about this in a different way than I have before. Um, but, you know, it's tough because they do have a lot of the same kind of consistent issues. Um, but overall, honestly, I'm, I'm really enjoying my first season covering the team. Um, everyone's been great and it's been a really good experience you know, for me so far, like I've been traveling a lot, adjusting to that. So it's been a great experience. You know, they're just, they're just really struggling on the court right now. Right. Do do you, do you feel like Trey's season and, and I know when, when guys who are playing at an all-star level are on, on bad teams, what what they do tends to feel like empty calories. Like Trey makes Mm -hmm. the highlights, you know, he makes the top tens every night. He's, you know, he's going off and, and scoring like crazy, having these big games. But it almost mm-hmm. feels like he's just kind of doing it in the wind. It's not, it's not resonate with people. Maybe just how good a player he is. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I can, I can definitely see that. And I think that he, I think more than anything, I think he not to put words in his mouth, but um, I've talked to him, you know, a handful of times about how, you know, the emotions, what are the emotions like when you're having the kind of season that you're having and the team is losing, you know? Um, And there are a lot of different arguments and I guess different schools of thought about, you know, are you kind of, you know, is that kind of a, not a waste, but, you know, is that kind of fruitless when it's not leading to wins? Um, you know, and people have different opinions on that because obviously the Hawks aren't good right now. You know, they're, they're, they continue to lose despite his just like heroics on offense. Um, but I kind of look at it as what is he supposed to do? You know, I mean, he can't, he's, he's not the whole team. He's just himself and he's going to continue to be himself and play, you know, like an all-star um, particularly on, you know, especially on offense. Um, so, you know, whether it leads to wins or not, I'm not quite, you know, again, he's not the whole team. He's only one person. He's not the GM. He's not, uh, he didn't put together this roster. All he can do is the best that he can do. Um, and, you know, but I I mean, I do think I've talked to him a lot about how, um, you know, it is it is frustrating when you're doing everything that you can and the team still can't can't pull out wins. But I think he also, you know, as kind of the face of the franchise that he's challenges himself and he's like, Well, clearly I'm not doing enough then. You know, so I think he kind of puts that on his shoulders a lot, like, you know, okay, down the stretch I should have done this, I should have done this. 
Um, but I mean, he continues to, he continues to, like you said, he continues to make top 10. He, he continues to have these like crazy highlight real plays. Um, and so, you know, I think he's just doing the best he can right now and just trying to play to the best of his ability. And obviously it's paying off at least on that individual level. Um, and that's, you know, how much more can you do? You know, um, he's even, you know, he's never going to be that elite defender with his size. Um, but I think he has picked it up on defense lately. Um, and some of that might just be, you know, I mean, I think some of it is just playing with like having some continuity of getting John Collins back, getting Kevin Herter the way that he, you know, playing the way he has lately, which Kevin's having, uh, he's been on a, a really, really torrid pace these last four games. Um, but yeah, I think Trey's doing, you know, for the most part, all he can right now. I think about who, you know, wears this losing the most, like who takes it and and digests it the the most. And Trey, I'm sure it's, it's difficult for him, obviously. But Lloyd Pierce, who I think is a really good young coach and mm-hmm. a really honest in, – in a in – a, an arena where honesty isn't always the the the, the main thing for coaches in the NBA. Um, <laughs> Lloyd is like brutally honest, which is refreshing. And I'm I'm wondering how much do you think the struggles that they're having is taking a toll on him? Because I I don't want to see him get beat down by losing. This really institutional. It's not about him and what he's teaching right now. They don't have the type of team that's built to win at a high level right now. And you have to know that and understand that as a coach. Um, do you think it, it, he's internalizing some of this losing or is he keeping it in the right perspective? You know, I think as far as what he shared um, publicly, because you're right. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't put together the roster. He's not in charge of the payroll, you know, and I think sometimes, those lines can be blurred by people. You know, I think it's hard when a team's losing and it's really frustrating. I think it's hard. People kind of scramble like, okay, where do I assign blame? You know, um, cause people are frustrated and justifiably. So, um, you know, I think with Lloyd, he's been pretty, he was pretty transparent even, you know, and again, I'm new. So one of the first Hawks, uh, things I covered was, you know, media day. Like I kind of moved here and then a couple weeks later hopped over to media day and um, people were asking him a lot about expectations because the Hawks got a lot of, you know, for one reason or another, um, Hawk, but, you know, the Hawks got a lot of buzz as far as like, oh, is this the year they can creep up and grab the eight seed? Um, you know, can they build off last year's finish how much can they build off last year's finish will they take that leap will they take baby steps what will they do um and Lloyd was pretty consistent in his kind of public statements and messaging that any pressure that's put on this team is not going to come from me and you know and this was before obviously way before uh John Collins got suspended which really threw this team off you know they were not at their best they are not at their best if they don't have John Collins Um, and so this is way before that. So, you know, him knowing what he knew at the time, um, he said, you know, any pressure that comes from, you know, outside pressure, whatever social media, it's not going to come from me because we're not there yet. You know, we're not there yet 
to, to where I'm going to put those expectations on this team. So I think he kind of knew coming. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but my impression was that it seemed like he knew, you know, they were still rebuilding. Um, but this team did get a lot of kind of buzz beforehand, which I'm, you know, I'm sure kind of adds to the disappointment when, when they're underperforming or when they only have eight wins. Um, I think for him, I think he knows, you know, how young this team is. And I think he is really focused on just developing the young guys that they know they're going to have, or at least that the messaging has been pretty consistent, that these are the guys we're going to build around. Um, And so I think for him, he's just really, you hear him say the word all the time. He says progression. And I think he's really focused on that. So I think his focus is how can I maximize these young guys? How can I teach them? How can I get them to use their voice more on defense when this is a really young, really quiet team? Um, again, particularly when John was out. John's, he's, a very, he's a very loud, very boisterous, very outgoing guy, and they didn't have that personality you know, for 25 games. Um, so I think for him, his thing is just like, how do I get the most out of these guys you know, he's a defensive coach, so I'm sure it is really frustrating, um, or a defensive-minded coach at least. I'm sure it's frustrating that this team struggles so much on defense. Um, so I think he's just trying to focus as much on getting these guys developed, you know, as he can. Yeah, it's just, it's a difficult situation for anybody to be in. You, you mentioned that you're from Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm curious – if you could maybe share a little bit about your background. And then my question is what was your perspective or your perception of the Hawks growing up and, and has it changed at all now that you've seen them in this light professionally as, as a, as a beat writer that's covering a team every day. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So I'm originally from um, Fayetteville, Georgia, born and raised down here, uh, graduated from UGA in 2016, um, ended, get, ended up getting a um, MLB.com internship covering the Pirates, which um, brought me up to Pittsburgh um, and then had a great experience with that. Um, and then I ended up getting a job eventually with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And I was there for a couple years. And right as I was leaving, I was covering Penn State football. Um, And then I got um, this offer to come cover the Hawks. And it just really seemed like it was just a great opportunity. You know, I was really excited to come back to Georgia, really excited to do some professional sports, kind of transition to doing pro sports. Um, But honestly, growing up, uh, it, it's kind of been a cool experience covering the NBA because growing up, I was definitely more of a college sports person. I was really into college football. I was really into college or I became more into college basketball. And then, so it's kind of been interesting, you know, cause obviously I knew about the Hawks. I mean, I knew, you know, that 60 win season. I mean, I knew, you know, I knew about the Hawks. I'd heard about them and I followed them a little bit, but not as much as you'd probably think I did have, you know, getting this job, but that's almost kind of been nice because, you know, in this field, like it's kind of nice to have a little bit of distance from the team you're covering as far as, you know, you don't want to be a fan of that team. You want to have that distance. You want to have that professionalism, you know, like I get asked all the time, like, Oh, like the Hawks lost, like, sorry about it. And I, and I'm just like, well, it's not my, you know, it's not, 
Like, I don't play for the team, you know. Um, so it's nice to have that distance, you know, kind of emotionally and just be able to see everything with that objectivity. Um, you know, so when they lose, I can just be honest and say, this is why they lost. And when they win and I give them credit, you know, like, you know that it's unbiased. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, you know, I had heard a lot about, you know, when back when they were good and then, you know, obviously you hear, okay, now it's time to super duper rebuild. Um, so I had been following that. And then, you know, when I got this job, I was able to really dive in. Yes. Uh, I, I used to take a lot of grief from people when I first started covering the Hawks in, uh, 2005, I covered mm-hmm. the Pacers before that. So I'd been around the league and, um, mm-hmm. people like even local media people here, I was covering a team and they were talking to me like I was a part of the team. And I'm like, yo, I'm just, it's just my job. Like I don't root for them. I'm not a part of the organization. Like why would you, uh, why would you assume that I have some emotional connection to that team I'm covering? Which is weird because you're dealing with fans all the time who, who definitely have uh, a, a very vibrant emotional connection mm-hmm. with the team. And they, I think sometimes they expect you to have the same thing when you cover them when it's a much more clinical process for us as, as you know, professional journalists. You're looking at the team with a, from, you know, from a different viewpoint than a fan might. And I don't know if they they understand. That. And it's much more difficult now in the social media age. I can only imagine what kind of interactions you've had with uh, Hawks, Hawks Twitter, as I like to call them. They're a very interesting group. <laughs> Um, <laughs> right. They, they, they do not. They do not shy away from sharing their opinions about the team and about you and about what you've done. So, um, I hope they're treating you with a little respect. At least. Oh no! Yeah, absolutely. Um, my experience since moving back has been really good. I think the biggest thing that I focus on is just trying to be like, you know, it's important to not have that bias. Um, you know, because mm-hmm. it allows you to do what you do a lot better because you're able to kind of not see things through those rose-colored glasses, so to speak. Um, But no, you know, you're definitely right, and you raise a good point that social media has made that a lot harder. Like, you get a lot of times on Twitter, people will say, we, like, we lost tonight, or we, you know, (laughs) fans will be like, we need to do this, we need to do that, you know, and it's just like, I have to be like, well, it's not, you know, I, like I'm not in charge of payroll. Like this isn't my money. Like it's not, we, <laughs> you know, this is not my W2, you know, like I write for the AJC covering the Hawks, you know, but I think there is a lot of confusion sometimes whenever I'm like, Oh, I cover the Hawks. People will be like, Oh, so you work for the Hawks. And it's like, no, that's no, like, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. So I don't know, maybe I need to get better at explaining that. Uh, but yeah, social media has definitely blurred those lines a lot. <laughs> well, look, I'll uh, I'll take the arrows for you. Um, I still have Hawks fans <laughs> yelling at me about stuff that, and I hadn't covered the team for years. But uh, but it's, it's interesting. It's I'm I'm enjoying your stuff, and and I think fans will as well. It's good to you know a fresh set of eyeballs on a team as well is often, in at least in my experience, that's often been a way to get a much different perspective and a much different look at a team that you've been watching for a long time when somebody else comes in just with fresh ideas and, and, and a fresh outlook on it. So um, very impressed, like I said, with, with your work and, and continue good luck. Hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you again here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Good insight there from Sarah Spencer. 
Check out her work at AJC.com. Um, and from Sarah, we go now to John Schumann. Get a little bit of uh, insight from John on on the Brooklyn Nets and, and certainly the team that vanquished them Tuesday night. Uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the more surprising teams in the league. Um, and how Chris Paul and those guys are doing what they're doing. John Schumann, Happy New Year. Glad to uh, get you back on the podcast here to pick your brain. Um, I know power rankings are out, but I'm going to skip uh, a deep dive into your power rankings to uh, to ask you what you thought of the Oklahoma City Thunder, one of the hottest teams in the league right now. The, the If I'm not mistaken, they're the best team in the West since sometime in December. I forget the d- exact date, but what? how in the hell is this happening? I mean, you can go back to Thanksgiving. They're 15-5 and five, um, since Thanksgiving, which is the second-best re- record in the league. Only Milwaukee uh, has been better. Um, what's crazy is they have the second-best record in the league, but if you look at their point differential over that time, it's only the seventh-best, and it's because they're winning a lot of close games. Um, no team has played more you know, games within five in the last five than the Thunder this season. They've played 28. Um, games that were within five of their last five of their so there's 37 games total 28 have been within five points in the last five minutes Um, no team other other teams played more than 24 of those games Um, they started four and eight and since late November they're 13 and three in those close games which is um, probably unsustainable, but still uh, very good. And you can obviously cre- credit, um, you know, a veteran like Chris Paul for a lot of that success. Um, and, you know, it's it's also with the late games is when they go to their three-guard lineup, which has been really, really good. Um, and so they have three guys who can get buckets uh, down the stretch of close games. And, and I think that's just been huge for them. And then, uh, Tuesday night in Brooklyn, it was just sort of a continuation of of what they've been doing and a continuation of uh, the Nets' struggles, especially on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah. Is is this vindication for CP3? I know a lot of people thought, you know, even if he went to Oklahoma City, he'd be a short-timer or he wouldn't be as happy about being in that situation as as some guys would and, and maybe wouldn't perform at the level – that honestly, he's always performed. It hadn't mattered to him what the circumstance. He's been the same guy, which is a credit to him and to his professionalism everywhere he's been. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's yeah he's definitely taken it in stride. I think he knows the situation with his contract that trading it is not uh, is is a lot easier said than done, um, and that he's got to sort of play through. Um, what he's doing, but I think he's accepted it. I think he's definitely a mentor to a lot of those dudes in that locker room, especially Shea Gildas Alexander. Shoot, last night after the game, like he was taking Shea Gildas Alexander uh, sort of uh, out that night or whatever because the rest of the team was going home, but Chris and Chris and uh, Shea were going to stay over in New York because Chris was going to go to the Players Association offices the next day, and so. It was, um, you could tell that there's a mentorship. Like he was talking to his wife on the phone after the game last night and, and Shay was there and like they, they basically 
count him as like their third kid, uh, basically. And, you know, they, um, so I think he's, he's sort of definitely accepted at the, the role that he's got there, which is mentoring, especially, you know, a young team, but especially this one young guard with a ton of potential to be, you know, one of the best guards in the league someday. Um, and so I think that's, um, you know, it's a credit to him, you know, as, as a vet, you know, he definitely, um, you know, as much as people, as much as he might get into under the skin of some people with uh, his antics on the court, I think he's he's a vet who enjoys being a leader and and being a mentor to some of these young guys, and he's playing really well. Like he's not, it's not like, um, you know, that's all he is. He's he's you know, come down the stretch of these close games. He's winning games for this team. I, I mean, like Tuesday night, he basically put them on on. On his back, they were down seven with uh, less than four minutes to go. Outscored the Nets twelve to five down the stretch, and he had ten of the twelve. Um, gets to that mid-range spot, and you know it's money. He's been he's been money in the clutch. He is, um, you know, he's shooting fifty-six percent from mid-range overall, and then with the score within five in the last five minutes, he's fifteen for twenty-one from mid-range, which is just ridiculous. Um, I highlighted maybe a month ago, there was a game where they're playing the Warriors and they were up maybe three or five or something late. And he, you know, got a pick and roll and the, and the, the big man dropped back and he pulled up for like a 12 footer and screamed layup as he was shooting it. And, you know, obviously drained it. Um, He knows uh, how to get to those spots. It was interesting last night. Um, you know, the Nets will drop back with their pick-and-roll coverage. And so down that stretch, he, he pulled up into a couple comfortable uh, sort of pull-up jumpers where he didn't have to fade away or anything. And then, you know, they brought Jared Allen up a little bit higher to, to sort of contest those shots, and he just went to his fadeaway, you know, step-back fadeaway and, and drained a couple more. So it was it was a clinic last night. And like I said, I think he's just, sort of embrace this role and, and, and is not only a leader, but also just, you know, this team's best player is best player at times. How do we, how do we grade that trade shoe? If, if the Thunder make the playoffs, I mean, given all the assets that Sam Presti got out of the deal, um, were they to make the playoffs? Do we have to regrade it and say, wait a minute, maybe the Thunder didn't, you know, uh, come out as bad as some people thought they did. I know you lose the 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 All Stars and the MVP candidates for assets. It you know you figure you cash in later, but I mean they if they make the playoffs and get all of that, it's a pretty good job by Sam Preston. Well, I don't know anybody who really graded them poorly in the first place. Like I mean, they got a ton for Paul George. I mean, we all know that like the Clip- Clippers were desperate, and so all those picks they got for Paul George was just a ton. And then it's not like Russell Westbrook has a much better contract than Chris Paul, but they got Chris Paul and additional assets in that trade. Um, and it's not like Westbrook is clearly uh, the right answer for Houston either. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't think, I, you know, in the first place, I don't think they did poorly. I think they did pretty well. Um, the fascinating thing is like, where do they go from here? Are they buyers? Are they sellers? You know, they, they have a good team. They are comfortably in seventh place in the West. 
um, closer now to sixth place than to eighth place. Um, and so, and they have a good, they have, they have Chris Paul, Gallinari and Steven Adams, three really good veterans. Um, you know, obviously any of those they could trade, but if they keep them, they got a good core and, and obviously Gildas Alexander has been fantastic. And then Schroeder has been terrific as a six man. So like, I don't, I don't know. I'd be fascinated to see what they do between now and February 6th. And I wouldn't, I think they're a dangerous team in the playoffs, even if they just stood pat and they don't necessarily have to sell off. Like Gallinari would be the easiest one to sell off, right? Expiring contracts. Um, everybody could use more shooting. Um, but even if they don't, even if they just say, Hey, let's just keep them. And if he walks in the summer, he walks. We are, they already have the biggest, uh, sort of trove of assets as, as it is. So like, it's not like they're in need of adding more picks. Like, um, you know, there's, there might be diminishing returns on the, on the amount of picks that they, uh, they have. So I'm, I'm really interested to see how they do. They're playing really well. Um, I do think it's a little like, like I noted, like, because of well, so much of their success has been in close games that it's a little bit unsustainable. They're not as good as that 15 and five record um, would, would uh, infer, but they're still really good. I mean, and I think we saw that at the beginning of the season, we just looked at that roster and said, you know, this is a competitive team. You know, we didn't realize that the sort of bottom of the West would fall apart and that you'd have teams like San Antonio and Portland, um, and even like a team like Minnesota and New Orleans just be so disappointing that the West eighth seed right now is 15 and 20. But um, I think we knew that this team was going to be competitive. Do you think they have an all-star on this roster? Is, is Chris or a, Shea maybe? That's a great question. I, I, I think Chris Paul is making a case. And I think um, – he'll definitely get some consideration from coaches. Um, but obviously the, the West guard spot is crowded, but like if you were picking between say Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul right now for an all-star spot, would you not pick Chris Paul? That's what I'm saying. I mean, what about he and Damian Lillard? I mean, they're going to be a couple guys with better numbers, yeah. but their teams won't be playing better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it'll be fascinating because, like, the East, there's six good teams, right? And the West, there's seven good teams. Like, do you limit your all-star picks to those teams? Maybe not. Um, but I wouldn't consider a team that's terrible. Like, you know, Lillard's, you know, they're, the Blazers are in 10th place, six games under 500. they They're not terrible, and he's been obviously fantastic offensively. Um, so, it's yeah, it's fascinating question i'm glad i only have to pick five starters and uh, you know uh, <laughs> for my vote and i don't even stress that much because if there's a close call i imagine the the the, the, the guy i don't pick is going to get a reserve selection anyway so um you know i'm i've you know i i'm glad that i don't have to make that sort of 11th and 12th guy i think they should i still think they should expand the rosters to 13 uh all-stars in the first place but um 
Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see sort of how that plays out in both conferences. I think the East it'll be interesting to see who gets those last two spots because I think you sort of run out of all stars once you get to nine or ten, and in the West, you know, certain positions are just crowded. the The flip side of of this conversation obviously is the other team in in that you saw last night in Brooklyn, and I don't know what to make of them. We knew they wouldn't have Kevin Durant. I had no idea Kyrie's, you know, season would be in question at this point. You know, whether or not he comes back at all, whether he comes back sooner or later. Um, it seems like a whatever opportunity he would have had to establish himself, you know, without Kevin Durant is gone. It's kind of vanished. Um, what do you make of the Nets and where they are right now? Well, as far as Irving, like, you know, we've still got more than half of the season left. So I'm not, like, counting him out. At the same time, you know, I don't think any of us would be surprised if at any point they say he's having surgery and he's done for the season. Um, I think it's just a, a sort of weird situation where they're trying to get through it and without surgery, uh, where he's trying to get through it without surgery. Um, but... uh it's not responding as, as well as they'd like. Um, I don't, you know, like at this point, I don't think you count him out coming back. Um, at the same time, you could, like I said, you could, he could be done for the season at some point, at any point, basically they could, you know, change directions and say, Hey, hey he's done for the season. Um, but obviously you got to just with the nets themselves, they just got to keep going forward, assuming that he's not around. Um, and it, it, you know, it's good they got Karis Levert back. I thought he's, I think he's looked pretty good in his limited minutes. Um, you know, he couldn't play. They had him. I thought he played pretty well last night, but then he couldn't play in the overtime because if he had, he had reached his minutes limit. And the Nets are a team that holds, it does not budge in, on minutes limits. Um, so that helps, but their offense has just been awful. Like they're they're Owens they're the only winless team since Christmas. They're Owen seven since Christmas with the ninth the league ninth ranked defense over that time. So they have a, a top ten defense and they're Owen seven, which tells you how bad their offense has been. Um, as they always have, they take the right shots. They're over that seven games, they're fourth in field goal attempts in the restricted area per game, but they're 29th in restricted area field goal percentage, and they're third in three-point attempts per game, and they're 29th in three-point percentage. So that tells you that their their offense is just falling apart um, over the last... And, and, and it started to, to look pretty bad in a couple of games before Christmas as well, but they sort of held on uh, in those first 10, 15 games without Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie has been fantastic. Um, guys like Torian Prince and, and Garrett Temple shot well. Um, but then those guys, those two guys went into a huge slump. Dinwiddie hasn't been finishing as well as he was before. He you know, shot well, shot poorly from three-point range. He hasn't finished as well as he was early in the season. Um, and so... They they're searching for answers, especially on the offensive end. The defense has sort of kept them in games, and then they sort of just can't get buckets down the stretch when they need them. Uh, they scored two points in overtime 
last night uh, tells you just <laughs> how much they're struggling. Um, uh, so I don't know the answer. And they've got tough. They've got some tough games coming up up ahead. They have a relatively tough January schedule. They're at home a lot for most of January, but uh, they have a lot of good opponents coming to Brooklyn. Yeah, sounds like a team that could use what Kyrie Irving brings um, when he's at his best. Um, just yeah, and, and, and I think we saw, yeah, with the comparison with CP, we saw the limits of Dinwiddie. Like he, he can get to, like he's great at getting to the basket, getting downhill, and even scoring through contact at the basket. But he doesn't have that sort of pull-up mid-range, comfortable pull-up mid-range shot that that you need on a handful of possessions down the stretch of close games. And like, you know, obviously like Chris Paul showed us last night um, that he has in his bag. So I think um, you saw the sort of the limits of, of their offense just to down the stretch. This is uh, uh, almost a midpoint of the season shoe. Uh, last thing I'll ask you is, do you think the, the playoff race in the East and West right now, looks about like what you thought it would? Or is there some glaring surprise? I mean, obviously Miami being as high as they are in the East is probably a shocker to everybody. But outside of that, is it, is it pretty much who you thought we'd have in that mix? That's a good question. I guess the top six in the East is is – I'm still surprised by Indiana. Just like I thought – without Oladipo and also given how many players they lost from their rotation last year, you know, we, we liked the additions of Warren and Brogdon, but you know, they lost a ton of guys that contributed for them last year. Um, they still surprised me, but I guess when, you know, when you realize that the East sort of gets weak after six teams, I guess it's not too much of a surprise that they're one of the, they're in six. Um, I guess Brooklyn isn't a surprise without Irving that they they haven't been able to stay over 500, um, and Orlando isn't a surprise that they're there. I think with the the teams that are below, no, like none of them. I think some of them I would expect to be closer to 500, like Chicago. I thought Atlanta was going to take a step forward, but obviously haven't. Um, but that's it. And then in the West. I think Dallas is a little bit of a surprise. I thought they were sort of mm-hmm. a, a borderline playoff team, right? Like sort of in the maybe in the 8 to 12 range rather than being a top six. Oklahoma City, I probably would have said in the 8 to 12 range. And then there's just been, like, like I said before, like San Antonio disappointment, Portland disappointment, New Orleans disappointment. Um, and then Memphis is the big surprise. I mean, that team is. 16 and 22 um, and a half a game out of eighth place. That's just crazy. Like uh, that is, that team is, is fascinating just because it's all about the future, but they are competing and they're beating good. They've beat some good teams over the last few weeks. So, you know, uh, and that eighth spot is wide open. It's going to be, it'll be fascinating to see, who grabs it? Does any team even approach 500 for the eighth spot in either of these conferences? We'll see. You know, um, San Antonio, Portland have tough January schedules. Um, so there's a there's an open door for one of these teams, one of these other teams, to uh, climb a little bit. 
Yeah, should be interesting. Um, gonna be very curious to see who comes back for some of these teams. That, you know, in terms of guys that are out right now, that can make an impact. Um, Nurkic, Ky- like I said, I'll be watching Kyrie. Yeah, because if he comes back for Brooklyn, maybe that changes their season. And if he doesn't, then we'll we'll have to kind of see what they can do without he and KD this season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean. The rest of the East is just so bad. I mean, I think Chicago is the only one where I would say I think they have a chance of climbing up and taking Brooklyn's spot if if Brooklyn continues to slide. Other than that, like mm-hmm. I think the, the rest of it is just, especially with Blake Griffin being out, uh, maybe you know indefinitely. Um, I think Chicago is the only team just because they've been really good defensively that can sort of compete. Uh, for a playoff spot that's, you know, currently out. Interesting. Well, keep an eye on it. Appreciate your shoe as always. And uh, people uh, keep following you on Twitter for all of your your insights, including you hating on me. I saw you bashing me the other day um, in my hoop game. You know I'm retired. I can't believe you go out there and throw me under the bus. I, 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 do, I do like the other Seku, though. I'm, a, I'm on, on the uh, Seku Dumpuya uh, bandwagon. You know, watched him the other day and was very, very intrigued. So I'm kind of glad yes, that he's yes. going to get plenty of opportunities down the stretch of the season to, uh, to do his thing. No doubt. The young Padawan is balling. Um, we'll see what happens, man. Appreciate your shoe as always. All righty. Got to say thank you to Sarah K. Spencer of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and our main man John Schumann of NBA.com for joining us this week on the podcast. We appreciate you listening. Appreciate the feedback as always. We'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast. Thanks for listening to Seku Smith's Hang Time Podcast. Be sure to check out previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, NBA.com backslash hangtime or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, Hoops fans. <laughs>